Man, it's, uh, it's those stories of life change that are really what, what drive us around here. In fact, it's why we started this church, and, and we are so, so confident that God is only just getting started. In fact, we've only been at this church thing for about a year and nine months, so under two years, and in that relatively short amount of time, we've already seen, listen to this, 46 different people go public with their faith through baptism. Isn't that incredible? Uh, that's 46 different stories of how Jesus has completely transformed a, a life. And if you're sitting here today and you've never taken that step, you've never gone public with your faith through baptism as an adult in particular, uh, we would really challenge you to perhaps take that step. Well, what are you waiting for? Um, it, it's as easy getting information about that as just emailing baptism at grumlaw.com. Again, baptism at grumlaw.com. We'll get you all that information. If you're ready to sign up for that, we'll get you signed up for the next baptism service. We do those on a pretty regular basis, but again, my challenge to you would be to d don't wait. You have no idea how God might want to use your story, in fact, to have another story be told. Now, if you weren't here last week, as alluded to, uh, we are in this series, we're entering into part two of this series called Relational Vampires. Uh, and we're not doing this series, let's just clear the air on this, because uh, we have some sort of an obsession with Halloween, in fact, far from it. Uh, no, no, the reason that we're doing this series is because every single one of us, whether you're a Christian, not a Christian, whether you're young, whether you're old, whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you have kids, whether you don't have kids, every single one of us, we all have people in our lives that can be a little bit draining, people that can be a little bit difficult. And so the question that we're asking throughout this series is, how do we love the people that suck the life out of us? And, and notice the choice of words there, not, not how do we put up with, not how do we deal with, but how do we truly love the people well that can be really, really draining in our lives. And the reason that we think this is really, really important is because God, whether you totally believe this not or yet or not, uh, God really, really loves you. God loves you a lot, in fact, so much so that he sent his one and his only son to die for you. God went to enormous lengths to demonstrate to you just how much he loves you. And so for the Jesus followers that are sitting in this room in particular, we are called to reciprocate that love, that love that was demonstrated to us by God sending his son to die on a cross for us. We are called to reciprocate that love to the people around us, up to and even including those people that can be a little bit challenging, those people that can be draining. And so in part one, if you weren't here last week as we kicked off the series, we talked about how do we love controlling people? Uh, because we all have a control freak or two in our lives, but the reality is, as we really dug into that, come on, let's be honest, we all have a little bit of a control freak inside of us, right? You have a little bit of a control freak inside of you, so we promise that that message is applicable to you no matter where you find yourself in this whole faith journey. So make sure you're going to grumlaw.com slash messages and catching yourself up there. Find us in our Grumlaw Church wherever you grab your podcast. Just in case you're curious, next week, as we enter into part three, we're gonna be talking about needy people, and then we're gonna wrap up this entire series talking about my personal favorite, how do we love hypocritical people? But today, this week, we're gonna be talking about a certain group of people uh, that we all are going to encounter and will continue to encounter many, 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 many times throughout our lives. Today, we're gonna be talking about critical people. Now, by a quick show of hands here, and you gotta participate, by a show of hands, how many of you seem to have someone in your life 
that has the spiritual gift of fault finding. Anybody? Okay, yeah, okay. Just about all of us. We, we have at least a couple of those people in our lives. If you, by the way, this morning, uh, you showed up here today and, and you've already leaned over to the person next to you and you've already had like at least like three things that you didn't really like about this church. You're like the videos, they're not funny. The music is too loud. The pastor, he is just like way, 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 way too handsome. You are probably exactly who we are talking about here today. We all have those overly critical people in our lives that, that boss that micromanages, that that person that never shares anything positive with you, but is so quick to have a conversation with you when you've done something wrong, that that parent, even though you're an adult, I mean, you're a grown man, you're a grown woman, that they are still criticizing you, how you spend your money, your parenting abilities, where you go on vacation. Uh, Maybe some of you, you have that pretty critical spouse. They're critical of how you walk. They're critical of how you talk. They're critical of how you look, how you chew your gum, the way that you load the dishwasher. Oh my goodness, I cannot believe that you would wear those shoes with that shirt. You get the idea. We all have those critical people in our lives. But just as we asked last week when we were talking about controlling people, how do we love these people well? Are we even called to love critical people well? Now, this might come as a surprise, perhaps, to some of you that are sitting here today, Uh, but we face, as a church, uh, I, as the leader of this church, uh, we face criticism on a weekly, if not more regularly than that. In fact, we we face criticism, believe it or not, for how we do church. Uh, I I get these emails and phone calls and messages on, on Facebook. I mean, can you believe that people would have a problem with a church? It's unbelievable stuff. People say things like, you aren't dressed up enough. You don't go deep enough. My goodness, you heathens, you play secular music on your playlist before and after the services. Your videos on social media, they're not funny, and I also kind of find them to be inappropriate. You waste money on billboards. Like, I mean, how could anyone find that to be a waste of money? Uh, In all seriousness, what's great about this campaign that we're doing right now is every single week I have met someone that has shown up because they simply saw a billboard. So God, for whatever reason, continues to show us a lot of favor even from a marketing standpoint. But people complain that the singing, the worshiping is too long. Other people complain that it's too short. Use the wrong translation of the Bible. You're too focused on unchurched people. My goodness, didn't you go to like church school or something? And didn't you learn that you're supposed to offer free coffee before services? What is wrong with you people? I'm telling you, we hear all of it. And what's so true is we're not even special. I'm not special. If you're making any sort of a difference in this world in any type of relationship, you surely will be criticized. Aristotle is credited with saying to avoid criticism, do nothing, say nothing, be nothing. And if I can perhaps be critical of Aristotle, that's not really even accurate, is it? Because if you do nothing and you say nothing and you be nothing, somebody is going to tell you that you are being a lazy bum. So here is the moral of the story, and all of you know this to be true. Your life has surely demonstrated this to you. You cannot, cannot avoid criticism, but particularly if you're sitting here today and you call yourself a Jesus follower. And even more as you follow Jesus in our present age, I would argue that following Jesus and and following the teachings of Jesus is as unpopular as it has ever been. But but Christian or not, the the question that we really want to wrestle with today is is how do we respond to critical people? How how do we respond to critical people? What is supposed to be our response to those people that have such a critical spirit about them? Well, number one, often you just don't respond. Some of you, this is going to be news to you this morning. Just because someone is critical of you, does not mean that you have to respond. 
You are not obligated to respond to people. Throughout Jesus' time on earth, and I think that Jesus is a really, really good example to look to in this area because if you read about the life of Jesus, and I I would challenge you to do this, read through the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those four books record Jesus' time here on earth. And through that relatively short amount of time here on earth, Jesus was constantly being criticized. Even in the midst of doing things that that almost exclusively seemed positive, he would still be criticized. There's an occasion where where he heals a blind man, only to be criticized. I mean, he gives a guy sight. He's been blind for his entire life, and and then only to be criticized by people that, how dare you? We can't believe that you would heal on the Sabbath, what is supposed to be a day of rest. There's another occasion where he casts out a demon that was causing this guy an inability to speak, and he also couldn't see only to be criticized by the religious leaders of that day, telling him, oh my goodness, we can't believe that you would be able to do that. You must only have that ability because you must be the prince of demons. Jesus was constantly being criticized. So so how did he respond? And and what you find when when you read this stuff for yourself is that Jesus' go-to response in the face of criticism was often that he just didn't respond. Peter was one of the guys that spent virtually every waking moment with Jesus. He's called one of the 12 disciples. Uh, And Peter says this about his friend Jesus. He has this observation. He says he didn't retaliate when he was insulted nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He, He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. He, he didn't retaliate, he didn't complain, he, he didn't defend. He trusted, listen to this, he trusted that God has things under control. Now, now I'm telling you, if you've been zoning out, bring it back in here for just a minute. Th- this is a big, big moment in any of our lives. When you truly get to the point that you actually trust that God has things under control, that God is indeed going to judge fairly. We all want justice, right? But that's not a unique thing to Christians. That is a people thing. Every single person on this earth, we want justice. Which, by the way, is why we so often respond to our critics. Because we think that some level of injustice has taken place. And so we feel the need to respond to it because we have to resolve that justice in our minds. But, but wouldn't you know it, regardless of your retaliating, Regardless of your defenses, regardless of your responses, has the injustice, has the criticism slowed down a bit? It just keeps on happening. Injustice runs rampant through our world. And if you don't believe that God is going to deal with people justly at the end of our lives, I honestly can't really understand how you keep yourself from going insane. Justice, the very thing that we pound our fists about, the very thing that we demand, the very thing that we're looking, we go, oh my goodness, like we need justice is the very thing, in fact, that God promises over and over and over and over and over again. He promises that justice is a coming. And Jesus knew this, which allowed him the freedom to not respond to so many of his critics. Just because a person has access to you does not mean that it requires a response from you. Access should not be a guarantee of a response. Proverbs is a book that we find uh, in the Old Testament, which is kind of the first half of the Bible. 
It's a book, by the way, that if you've never really picked up and, and read a Bible for yourself, Proverbs would be a really, really good place for you to start because Proverbs is full of just like kind of this practical everyday advice for everyday life. And so if you've ever thought that, man, this, this Bible's outdated, scripture doesn't really apply, again, I would challenge you to read the book of Proverbs and I think you'll see the applicability in every single one of our lives. In fact, it was written by what many people would consider to be the wisest person to have ever lived. And in Proverbs, it says this. It says, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory, it's for your good, to overlook an offense. And, and Christian or not, I, I actually know that you agree with this. Because isn't it true that there's something almost shockingly admirable about a person that doesn't get flustered in the midst of complaints? About a person that, that doesn't get all worked up in the midst of criticism? That when they're taken advantage of, that when they're violated, they are so quick to overlook it? Isn't it true in those scenarios, even though if you don't have very much of that inside of you, you look and you see that in other people's lives and you're like, I, I kind of wish I had some more of that. And, and overlooking, keep in mind, is not the same as pretending it didn't happen. This word that we see here, overlook, it actually comes from a Hebrew term that means to pass over. It, it's a conscious decision to let it go. It, it's this sort of immediate forgiveness. It's forgiveness in real time, rather than harboring it, rather than allowing it to fester, rather than allowing it to ruin your day, your week, your month, your year, you instead, you choose to let it go. My wife and I, before we, uh, we moved back to Michigan, uh, we first got married, we were living down uh, in Ohio, this little town right on the, the coast of Lake Erie, it didn't even feel like you were in Ohio, which was a perk because... It was Ohio. And uh, it was about 15 minutes, a town called Vermilion, which is like 15 minutes east of uh, Sandusky. And we, uh, we went to, in fact, even before my wife joined me there, uh, I started going to this church in Sandusky, Ohio. It's still around called the Chapel. It's an awesome, awesome church. Uh, but when I first started going to this church, one of the things that was like always ticking around in my mind when I would go there on Sunday mornings was the fact that they had this horrible website. The website was like embarrassing. It looked like something that I had designed in like sixth grade when I just learned what a computer was. I was like, I can't believe this isn't a priority for these people. Like, do they not realize that people are making snap judgments on them based on the website? Like, they, this has to get better. And, and I don't know what it was that led me to this point, but I got to this point, and mind you too, this makes it even worse. I, I wasn't doing anything at this church. I wasn't serving on a team. I, I was like the, the epitome of just showing up and then getting out of there as soon as service ended. And, and, but I, I, again, I couldn't resolve this whole website thing. And so one day, moment of weakness, I decide to pull up my laptop and I fired an email off to the lead pastor telling him, imploring him to fix the website. I was like, your website is so bad. I am literally embarrassed to, to invite people to go to this church because I'm scared that they're gonna go to the website first and then they're gonna be like, heck no, I'm not going there. And I said all these, I mean, just such critically toned things. And, and much to my surprise, I got a response about 24 hours later, and it simply read this, will you send me your phone number? Now, this is one of those moments where you're like, oh, crud, I probably should have kept these thoughts to myself. And then I'm doing the whole dance of like, do I pretend that it went into my spam box? Like, you know, what do I do? I was like, I can't hide behind an email. That drives me nuts when people do that to me so reluctantly. I sent my phone number, and within minutes, my phone started ringing, a number that I did not recognize. Sandusky, Ohio came on underneath it. I had a good idea of who it was going to be, and it was the pastor, and I'm kind of bracing for an earful, and he said, hey, Shay, I just got your phone number, read your email, and I just want to let you know that um, 
we actually agree, and, and we were kind of laboring over where we could allocate some, some certain money that we had, and, and your email kind of pushed us over the edge. I stalked you a little bit on Facebook. It seems like you're the demographic that we're trying to go after, and so if that's important to you and people that you know, uh, I just want to let you know we're, we're actually going to go about fixing the site and making it a little bit better. And, and then he proceeded to invite me to sit down with his communications department to kind of give them my input, as if I know anything about a website. And, and I found myself two weeks later sitting in a room their communications department, and they're all rigorously taking notes as I'm giving them ideas and things that I've seen on other church websites that I think would be beneficial for them. Here's the point, and here's why I tell you that. Aren't you so glad that people have overlooked your criticism? Aren't you so happy that that your critical spirit has not been held against you? What kind of a spot would you be in life if all your collective criticism and all your offenses were still being held over your head? Your role is is to obey God, not answer critics. So often you don't respond, but sometimes, sometimes you respond carefully. Notice that I didn't say that you react instinctively because that's what comes natural to all of us and that will almost always and exclusively take you in a direction that you will later regret. No, instead, what you choose to do, and it has to be a decision, you choose instead to respond carefully. I alluded to this story earlier. There's this occasion where, where Jesus is presented with a man that had been possessed by a demon for much of his life. He was, he was blind, he was unable to speak, and because of this encounter with Jesus in an instant, suddenly he is completely healed. The demon is cast out, he can now speak, he can now suddenly see. I mean, imagine the life change, imagine that moment. There wouldn't have been a dry eye in the crowd, except for these religious leaders, often referred to as as the Pharisees. Listen to how they replied to this situation. When the Pharisees heard about the miracle, they said, no wonder he can cast out demons. He, He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. Rather than focusing on the miracle, But rather than celebrating the incredible life change that has just occurred right in front of their very eyes, they instead decide to criticize. You better believe that Jesus responded. Jesus knew their thoughts and he replied, you idiots, it takes a special kind of stupid to criticize me for healing a person who has been suffering his entire life. Seriously, what's wrong with you guys? Then Jesus immediately cast the demons into the Pharisees to teach them a lesson and they could no longer speak or see. I made that up for those of you that are wondering. (laughs) That is how all of us would have responded if we would have had the power of Jesus. That would be the definition of reacting instinctively. But Jesus being Jesus, he doesn't do that. He instead, he chooses to respond carefully. This is what actually happened. Jesus knew their thoughts. Now again, that's worth noting. You see these occasions all throughout Jesus's life where people are thinking things and he responds to their thoughts. Can you imagine the pressure hanging around around Jesus? Like something not so great goes through your head and you're like, oh my goodness, I gotta get that out of there. He's gonna start talking about it. Jesus knew their thoughts and he replied, any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. It's so easy when we put like these kind of big chunks of scripture up here to just like start to zone out. Really think of how Jesus is replying right here. Any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A town or family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan, he begins to actually entertain their preposterous theory, if Satan is casting out Satan, he's divided. And he's actually fighting against himself. His own kingdom will not survive. And if I'm empowered by Satan, what about your own exorcists? What about the people that you employ that do this for a living? They cast out demons too. So they will condemn you for what you have said. 
But if I am casting out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. For who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger. He's going, that, that would be me. Someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. And this would have been the point that if Jesus was holding a microphone, he would have dropped it and walked away. And everyone went, that's pretty good. That was a good response. When your parent, when your spouse, when, when, when your coworker, when, when your boss is laying into you, when, when they're criticizing they're telling you things like, I cannot believe that you would be a stay-at-home mom. You have so much potential. Another parent's looking at you going, oh my goodness, I can't believe that you would work when you have healthy kids. You're allowing somebody else to raise those children. Are you kidding me? You're going back to school? I can't believe that you would throw your career away for that. In the face of that criticism, sometimes we're called to hit pause. Sometimes we're called to wait and then respond carefully and then provide an explanation. So often, the criticism is coming from a place that's just lacking in understanding. And a thoughtful, a calm, a deliberate response can be incredibly disarming. When emotions are high, wisdom is low. So take the time to pause, have the courage, have the patience, the discipline to look at that critical person and say, you know, I think that I need more time to think about this. I need more time to process this, to pray about this before I respond to you. You know, I was making light of it earlier, but when I get those nasty emails, when I get those, those messages on Facebook that are just thrashing this church, I mean, I'd be lying to you if I told you that they didn't affect me every once in a while. And what I've found is um, it's wise for me to wait if I do choose to respond until the following day. Because I know myself well enough that if I respond in that moment, I am going to say something that I'm gonna later regret. I'm gonna pop off. I'm gonna say something that, that is not gonna make this church look in the appropriate light that it should look. And wouldn't you know it, by, by simply sleeping on it, by, by giving time for my emotions to dissipate, but by, by taking a moment and just going, okay, I'm going to calm down, I'm going to choose to respond to this tomorrow, I'm never as fired up the following day. And in turn, it, it always leads to a far more loving, a far more mature, a far more compassionate response. I, I think we'd be wise to keep in mind that, that most angry most critical people are usually hurting people. Oftentimes, the criticism, come on, it's not even about you. You just happen to be the target that was sitting in front of them in that moment. Behind every anger is a hurt. So I challenge you to lead with compassion rather than spite, rather than feeling that need to defend, rather than one-upping, lead with compassion. So sometimes you do respond carefully and then occasionally you listen and you make a change. Occasionally you listen and you make a change. And, and as outlandish as this is going to sound to some of you, sometimes your critics, they're, they're right. Even, even the ones that are obnoxious, even the ones that are really harsh, even the arrogant ones, sometimes they're actually right. 
Listen, if everybody is telling you that you have a problem, you probably have a problem. If 10 different people have pulled you to the side and told you that he just doesn't seem right for you, that he really comes across like a creep, you're probably dating a creep. If your wife keeps telling you over and over and over again that you gotta get better at controlling your temper, you probably have an anger problem. If your sales manager and all the other reps that you work alongside of keep telling you that you need to be more persistent, you're probably giving up too easy. In Proverbs, there's some more advice for us. It says, if you listen to constructive criticism, you'll be at home among the wise. But if you reject discipline, you only harm yourself. But if you listen to correction, you grow in understanding. You know something I figured out in my life? That even my harshest critics, even the most obnoxious of complainers, even the people that annoy me the most, and come on, you guys are gonna think I'm crazy for saying this, but we have these people in our lives that when you see them approaching you, you start saying prayers in your head, please trip, please trip, like anything to get out of this conversation again. Even those people, you can learn something from them. If you take the time to pause and reflect, that there is usually at least one tangible takeaway even from those interactions, one nugget of truth that's buried underneath all that anger, that's buried underneath all that vitriol. Uh, I first started speaking in like public settings like this years and years ago. Gosh, it's probably like eight years ago now. Uh, and it was at a church just south of here. It's actually one of our supporting churches that, that helped get us off the ground, a church called Venture down in Heartland, Michigan. And uh, my dad's actually the pastor there, which probably had you know, some sort of like thing and how this came to be that I, I was you know, allowed to be able to go up there and speak on Sunday morning to thousands of people. And I was working in medical sales at the time. I really didn't have much public speaking like experience. And they were just like, figure it out. And, and so after a couple of times of doing this, uh, there was this one guy in particular that as soon as I would get done speaking, he, he would beeline it right for me. It was like, I gotta talk to that guy. Every time I got done speaking, and he would come up to me, and he would have this list, and he was proud of this list, and he would rifle off like 10, 12, 15 different things that I was doing wrong. I mean, he was so critical of everything, and I'd sit there, and I'd nod my head. He wouldn't even just hand me the piece of paper. He'd tell me all, and then he'd expound on it, and he'd prove his point, and I was just sitting there like, oh my gosh, this conversation can't get done soon enough, and then he'd hand me the list, and he'd walk away, and as soon as he turned his back, I'd be looking for a trash can. I was like, where can I deposit this thing? Now, after this had occurred uh, for about a year, I, I don't know what happened, you know, perhaps just God kind of slapping me upside of the head, giving me a dose of humility. I finally said, okay, is there any truth to what's on this list? And I remembered another communicator had told me one time, hey, you should go back and listen to yourself, which nobody likes listening to their own voice. But I was like, all right, I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna listen. And there were always two things that he would point out. Always two things. These same two things were always on the list. They were staples in his critical nature. Uh, one, you're talking too fast. And two, the second thing he would say, he's like, you get too high of a pitch. You talk for like 30 minutes like you're screaming at us. And we don't like listening to it. It's like we walk out of here and we're like, ugh, we just need to like calm down a little bit. And, and those two things are always on the list. And so I started listening to myself. And you know what I figured out? He was right. I was talking so fast. I was like, oh my word, I can't believe people can understand me. 
And then I was like, he's right. I'm yelling at him for 30 minutes, like in my car. I'm like, I can't get the volume low enough. Like, this is brutal. How come nobody tells me these things? Some of you are thinking, you've slowed down, really. That's nice to hear. Still working on it. The, res- the people that you respect most in life have inevitably gotten to that respectable status in your mind, that re- respectable standing in your life on the heels of humility, uh, on the heels of being able to embrace criticism and then make changes when appropriate. And then lastly, always work to guard your heart. Always work to guard your heart. Just as I said last week when we were talking about controlling people, it is so easy to sit there and go, look at all these controlling people around me. And you think of 20 different control freaks circulating around in your mind. But come on, deep down, we know. We all have a little bit of a controlling spirit inside of us. And the same is true this morning. The world, we know this, is full of critical people. Critical people are all around us, but if you succumb to the critical nature that is so prevalent in our society as your life has shown you, it is so easy to become that critical person. If I had that kind of money, I would never. I cannot believe the way that she dresses. These refs are such idiots. How do they have jobs? She is so full of herself. How many selfies is she going to post? I'm just being honest. Just calling it like I see it. I'm just saying. Sounds familiar, right? That that critical spirit, it exists inside every single one of us. And, And it's always born out of these three things, either pride, ignorance, or hurt. This happens to be one of those areas that that I think is impossible to overcome on your own. It's something that maybe for a relatively short period of time you you can gain victory over, but it's just going to keep creeping back up again and again and again. The the only way that you're going to guard your heart long term against against a critical spirit or keep yourself from being affected by criticism is by being grounded in Christ. That, that, that you get to a place where you truly believe who I am matters more than what they think. Who I am matters more than what the people around me think. I, I am a child of God. I, I am a son. I, I am a daughter of the most high God saw such value in me that he sent his one and his only son to die on a cross for me. The love that God has for you, it can't be measured. Becoming obsessed with what God thinks of you is the quickest way for you to forget what people think of you. You can't serve God and also live for the approval of people. Those things are diametrically opposed. Those two things cannot coexist. It it goes back to what we talked about last week. You're so sure of the calling that God has placed on your life. You're so sure of God's love for you that you're not moved by the approval or the criticism from man. I'm not driven by praise and I'm not derailed by criticism. I'm not gonna allow compliments to go to my head and I'm not gonna allow criticism to stick in my heart. This is apparently something 
that people have suffered with and struggled with since the beginning of time. Uh, we see evidence in, in this from Paul. Paul was one of the guys that was uh, responsible for spreading the name of Jesus around much of the ancient world. Uh, in his early letter to, to the church in Rome, he has this to say on the subject. He says, yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. You guys, you Jesus followers in particular, let's stop being so hard on each other. Let's stop being so critical of each other. Let's stop being so critical of the world around us. Jesus made it so, so clear that we are not called. Not one of you have been called to be the judge and the jury. He, he makes it so clear that he has that under control, that he has that covered. Let's instead remember who we are. Let's remember who the people around us are, who they really belong to, children of the Most High God. And once we come to grips with that, Let's live in such a way, let, let's love in such a way that people instinctively understand who we belong to. Let, let, let's commit to seeking out the good, the positive. Let, let's believe the best in others because that is precisely what Jesus did with you.